601. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the monitor room at the Christian Geek Central podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com or Patreon.com slash Spirit Blade Productions on the show today. A review of Guns Akimbo. Some thoughts about, uh, by the way, I was wrong. I had my dates wrong on the Justice League uh, Dark Apocalypse War thing that I thought I was going to be reviewing this week. I had my dates wrong. So, Guns Akimbo instead. Also, some thoughts about finding God in fantasy stories. Reactions to the Inside Xbox Series X gameplay event and some thoughts and games to consider if you're feeling in need of hope. Plus, more assorted topics based on your questions, comments, feedback, and my Geek Week. You can check the timestamps for more details. Here we go! Guns Akimbo! The synopsis on IMDb reads, Miles is stuck in a dead-end job. Still in love with his ex-girlfriend, Nova. Unbeknownst to him, a gang called Schism is running a deadly competition within his city in which complete strangers fight to the death for the entertainment of an online audience of millions. Miles soon finds himself caught up in the game and forced to fight in a battle to the death. The synopsis actually says a little bit more, but I think it gives away too much, so I'm going to stop right there. Um, so what is this animal? Well, it's uh, it's an action movie, definitely action comedy, but like heavy, heavy on the action. Very stylized in the way it, uh, the, the movie's edited, in its use of the camera. It's got user interface elements in the shot representing what characters see. So in a similar way to like... Scott Pilgrim versus the world or similar movies, you know, uh, where, where the characters are seeing something or thinking about something. And so they're showing, uh, you know, 3D elements in the scene that are not literally there, but they represent what the characters are thinking or, or, or feeling or whatever. Uh, so it has a very video gamey inspired feel for those reasons and for others, including shout outs that are specific to some specific video games and some tropes of video games. Um, the, Story is almost always moving forward. It's got a very forward-moving momentum. Lots of action uh, that I think looks interesting throughout. I really liked the premise of this. You know, this uh, uh, this kind of underground fight club online that people watch and are entertained by, even though people are really dying as a result of this, you know? So a very interesting kind of meta commentary. Uh, I love the crazy visual concept of this guy and you'll see this in the trailer having guns bolted to his hands uh so that he's forced to like carry these guns in firing position throughout the entire movie i mean it's like oh my gosh that's just messed up that's like crazy saw type stuff you know um and so there was 
just just the whole setup and the premise of this movie I really found interesting and engaging. I just didn't like the dialogue and the moment-to-moment character choices a lot of times did not make sense to me. I'm like, well, why aren't you doing this? This seems like the obvious thing to do. Why aren't you doing this? You know, and also some very selective realism, you know, uh, for example, in, in one of the opening scenes, we hear the characters in her monologue saying, yeah, just so you know, gunshots, you know, gun, that's, it's much louder in real life than it is in the movies, you know, I mean, you go deaf from hearing gunshots, you know, I mean, this is like really, really loud, they make a big deal of that, trying to kind of, I think, bring a sense of realism of having this fish out of water character in this crazy, you know, stereotypical action movie type of environment, you know, um, he also, at one point in the movie, also references a post-traumatic post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, and the reality of that. Uh, but then you've got many, many other moments in the movie where crazy stuff is going on, like motorcycles that are climbing on top of other cars and ramping off of them, and then people surviving ridiculous car accidents, that, and they seem to be no worse for wear, and almost a complete lack of reference to pain on the part of really any characters almost. In particular... Daniel Radcliffe's character who has these guns bolted to his hands only one time does it seem like he really references the fact that he is in pain because of these things the way he's moving his hands the whole time and his arms I'm just like it would be agony to just barely move a little bit just just to be sustaining the weight of these guns as they're bolted to your hands is going to be putting pressure on every one of those points that it's bolted to you all they would have had to do was throw in a remark about, you know, how they put some anesthetic, you know, in, when in, after doing the procedure, and then he would have to deal with the anesthetic slowly wearing off over the course of the movie. You know, so you can still have a ridiculous premise and these kind of like morbidly funny moments throughout, even when it is more grounded like that. But they didn't choose to do that. They chose to go with... Uh, you know, um, some very, uh, you know, a very crazy premise, but uh, just unleashed in terms of any psychological realism or very, well, very selective realism, like I said. Okay, I don't need to comment on that anymore. As far as the cast and performances go, well, Daniel Radcliffe is, I think, going to be the draw for many people. Of course, he's most well known for his role as Harry Potter for years and years in all those movies, and he felt really solid to me, sporting an American accent, which, of course, is a nice, you know, uh, a little uh, kind of like novelty to, to hear him sporting an American accent. Um, maybe he's done that in the movie already. He probably has. I, I, I'm not a big Radcliffe fan, so this is the first thing I've seen him in, in in a while. I think I've maybe seen him in one other thing outside of the Potter franchise. But anyway, uh, he plays uncertainty great, you know. Um, I... Th- I think he did a lot of that in the Harry Potter movies, and so it's, he's had a lot of practice, and his and his skill has developed as an actor since doing the Harry Potter movies. I think certainly in this movie, I, I enjoy him more and find him to be more interesting and engaging than he was in the Potter movies, you know. And so he plays uncertainty, you know, fish out of water, great, and that's what this role totally is. Other uh, performances felt good, you know, in many ways, but often going for just over the top, you know, dialed up to 11, rather than doing things that were varied and interesting to me. Uh, the villain performance in particular just really didn't work for me. Uh, yeah, it just didn't, it just didn't work for me at all. Uh, one character actor, I think his name is pronounced Reese Darby. I'm sure other people that know like Flight of the Concords and other things he's been in, you know, maybe I'm sure he has a big fan following, you know, but he's a fairly unfamiliar uh, face to me outside of um, the small role he had in the Jumanji movies, which I enjoyed him in. And he plays a homeless man in this movie that Radcliffe's character interacts with 
And he was the high point of the movie for me. He was he struck me as really funny, really interesting and surprising. You know, uh, he like stole the show <laughs> and made me want to go and get on IMDb and find out what other movies he's done and see if there might be something else of his that I would be interested in where I'd get to see a whole lot more of him. Because, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed his bits in this movie. As far as the stunts and visuals, I've already commented on them a bit. Uh, the budget does show now and then in like CG created cars in some of the stunt sequences or the blood in some of the slow motion moments in particular uh, but the style of this movie made up for those budget deficiencies for me now the style isn't groundbreaking uh, but it does steal from the best you know and it puts a lot of that in the gumbo throughout this movie you know so I found it visually interesting from beginning to end at least now as far as like themes is there anything of moral philosophical or spiritual significance going on in the themes of this thing that might bring about some worthwhile thought or conversation um, I think absolutely uh, social media uh, streaming you know like on Twitch and YouTube, both streaming and in video creation and stuff, uh, they have, these platforms have created or perhaps revealed a climate of indifference to the value of other humans. Uh, that we just see it so commonly. The, this movie itself even um, points out the very, you know, uh, famous uh, toxicity in YouTube comments alone. You know, YouTube, unfortunately, has become famous as probably, for, in its comments, the most toxic place, you know, uh, uh, among popular social media platforms uh, on the internet, you know. And this movie shines a spotlight on how people just become entertainment to us. Uh, we enjoy seeing other people fail or come to ruin. We um, find entertainment or some kind of self-affirmation through petty trolling and those kinds of petty interactions with other people on various uh, social platforms. Um, in this movie, almost uh, no one values anyone else as a human being, and it feels sadly familiar to me as I watch this movie. Uh, I just talked in the last episode of the Christian Geek Central podcast uh, about comments that I won't respond to on YouTube and other social media platforms. There is a video version of that that I, uh, I'm planning to uh, bring to the YouTube channel at some point. Um, and, and I do that because I don't want to enable our dehumanizing of each other or find myself inadvertently getting caught up in that too. You know, it's so easy to forget about the real people on the other side of the internet uh, or the texting, you know, texting platform that we're on or whatever. Uh, we are interacting with other people every day with this kind of barrier between us that makes us for whatever reason feel free to just like not value other people and just kind of say whatever feels good to us, you know, or whatever makes us feel better about ourselves. Um, and this movie was a silly yet sobering reminder of that. So I think in that regard, it has some real value. Now, I have no idea what your uh, tastes are in movies, but if I were a time traveler, I'd go back in time and say, Peter, oof. Skip this one. Um, you're just not going to connect with the dialogue uh, and the characters at all, unfortunately. Uh, it's cool and stylized visually, but nothing that you haven't seen before and seen done better already in other movies. Maybe five or so years from now when your oldest son, a Harry Potter fan, uh, is old enough to be ready for this content, you could watch it with him and see if he finds it interesting to see Daniel Radcliffe in this totally different setting and different role. But until that time comes, there's just really nothing uh, 
that's going to make the experience ultimately worth the time for you. Uh, all right. This one is rated R by the MPAA for strong, bloody violence throughout, pervasive language, drug use, sexual references, and brief graphic nudity, which refers to uh, male genitals very briefly, like you blink twice and it's gone. It's very quick, and it might have even been like uh, a rubber prop. It's a really goofy, quick moment. I'm not even sure what exactly I, I was seeing there, but uh, there you have it for your uh, consideration. Our friends over at speculativefaith.com are lending us another article, this one by Chana Schroeder, published on February 14th, 2020, titled How to Find Signs of God in Many Fantastical Worlds. She writes... God is omnipresent, always present in all places at all times. That doctrinal statement might seem a strange place to start an essay on finding God in fantasy, but think about it. If God were not omnipresent, why would we bother looking for him midst the strange and surreal landscapes of other worlds that don't exist? However, if God is truly omnipresent, and I believe he is, we can approach fantasy with not only the hope that he might be there, but with the confident expectation that he is there. At least, I have yet to find a Bible verse that restricts God's presence to the realistic. All usually means all, which would mean he is also present in every story and every story world. Now, his presence in story, like in the real world, may not be overt. And just like the real world, God may be maligned, misrepresented, ignored, or even outright denied. This is common in secular stories, which is why as Christians we must handle such stories with extra care and discernment. We do not want to accidentally absorb these wrong ideas into our way of thinking. Indeed, due to the metaphorical nature of the genre, we must walk very carefully to compare all we see to the biblical standard, no matter the source of the story, though Christian fantasy tends to be more intentional in its inclusion of God, and therefore more accurate in its portrayal. Nonetheless, God will be present somewhere within the story, even if only in the representation of his attributes, such as his sovereignty, love, justice, and mercy. So how do we go about finding God in these fantastical worlds? Just as he has many ways of showing up in the real world, so he can show up in fantasy in a multitude of ways. But here are five of the most common ways I've seen God manifest himself. Exact representation. Sometimes God shows up simply as himself. He is called by the names used in the Bible. He has performed the same acts as those recorded in scripture. His interactions with the world are the same ones we see in our everyday lives. There is nothing metaphorical or allegorical here. The God presented in the story is the God of the Bible. This manifestation of God is most common in fantasies with a real-world or pseudo-real-world setting, whether contemporary or historical. So you might see God as himself in urban fantasy, magical realism, high seas adventures, vampire stories, the real-world part of portal fantasy, and superhero stories. This is also the most common way for God to show up in fantasy's speculative counterpart, science fiction. Both John Ott's Fail State series and my novel, The Vault Between Spaces, includes God in this way. Direct Parallel 
God can also show up in a mirror reflection of himself. That is, the author creates a clone of God as much as is humanly possible. All of God's revealed character, standards, and will are left intact, but often he will appear under another name, and his interactions with the fantasy world may look a bit different than in the real world, though not in a way that violates the essence of who he is. This is probably the most common method employed by Christian fantasy writers today, especially in subgenres set in completely alternate worlds, e.g. traditional high fantasy or the alternate universes of portal fantasy. Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia is probably the best beloved example of this manifestation, though both Sharon Hink's Sword of Lyric series and Jill Williamson's Blood of Kings have wonderful examples of this as well. Metaphorical type. This third example is closely related to direct parallel and often is mistaken for it. But whereas a direct parallel claims the character to be God, just by another name, a metaphorical type creates a character with a strong resemblance to God. Many of the attributes of God are embodied in this character and thus points to God, but is done without intending to perfectly represent God. Indeed, to turn a metaphorical type into a direct parallel will often result in wrong theology and a misrepresentation of God. This version of God's presence is a bit rarer than the first two manifestations, but it can be commonly found in parables, allegories, and stories with extended metaphors. My own novel, Beast, applies this manifestation to the character of majesty. Invisible orchestrator. As I mentioned before, sometimes God will hardly be recognized at all in a story. Rather, he is the person behind the scenes, weaving together the events, directing the characters in the way they should go, all to bring about a desired end, whether that be fulfilled prophecy or the defeat of a great evil. Often God is never recognized by name in these stories, and his sovereignty over the events may be barely acknowledged by the characters. Or, as is common in secular fiction, his behind-the-scenes work may be wrongly attributed to fate, another god, or even the writer himself. But the sense will often linger of something bigger at work. Indeed, the events often unfold in ways that would seem too coincidental, even laughable, if it were not for this sense of something more. This style of representing God is also common in Christian fantasy, especially in those stories where the Christian worldview is underlying rather than those where a Christian theme derives the plot. Lord of the Rings is a prime example of this, as are the more modern works of R.J. Anderson. Signposts of Truth This final form of God's presence is probably the least common and is largely restricted to secular fiction. This is because theologically grounded Christians understand that God exists, is sovereign, and is at work in the world. So to write a story where God is not at least present as an invisible orchestrator would be to create a story that denies the existence of God and create a plot rooted in chaos, which directly contradicts a Christian worldview. Indeed, this is why this manifestation is rare, for even most secular writers instinctively create according to a sense of order, rules, and structure, which points to an orderer, rule-maker, and builder behind the scenes, that is, an invisible orchestrator. But a few stories push even that so far to the background or so distort the source of that orchestration that God's presence is relegated to his attributes and the truths that point to him. 
for there are some spiritual truths so written into the universe that to write in opposition to them will cause a story to ring untrue to readers. For example, the triumph of good over evil, the power of love, and the work of redemption can all point back to God, albeit in an often misshapen way. Obviously, these are not the only five ways God manifests himself in story, and deviations within these five, as well as combinations thereof, can also occur. But within each and every story, God will be there. Let's see if we can spot him. Some things really we're thinking about in that uh, article, and hopefully will lead us to bring our understanding of God and our even our listening for him into our uh, our fiction reading. So great stuff, once again, from our friends over at speculativefaith.com. Uh, that article, one more time, is titled How to Find Signs of God in Many Fantastical Worlds, written by Chana Schroeder. You can find that and a ton more great content over at, you guessed it, speculativefaith.com. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POSTOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. Did you notice I did the opposite this time? Like, sometimes I'll go for, like, no breath between any of them. This time, I took one breath between every single one of them. For more information about the CGC network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Data collection complete. Activating Musenet 1.0. This weekend, I should say, specifically for this first one at SpiritBlade.com. And this weekend only, May 8th through May 10th, you can download SpiritBlade Dark Ritual Legacy Edition for free. You can always get Spirit Blade Legacy Edition for free. Uh, and right now, until the end of the 10th, you can get Spirit Blade Dark Ritual Legacy Edition for free. Great time to nab this thing up. Especially since, uh, I think a couple weeks from now, one or two weeks, I can't remember. I got the dates. I'll start promoting it really soon. Uh, but I'm doing a summer sale that's going to start up uh, very soon so that you can get the third part of the trilogy uh, at a significant discount. And so there has never been a better time than this weekend to jump on board if you want to check out this genre-bending, weird, crazy, sci-fi, fantasy, supernatural, action-packed, big-budget-sounding uh, audio drama trilogy. So anyway, Spirit Blade Dark Ritual Legacy Edition, free, 8th through the 10th, spiritblade.com. Then over at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral, I posted the video, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, a World for the World Weary, which is part of our Quarantine Escape Hatch series. Then on Tuesday, I posted Gretel and Hansel spoiler car, giving all my spoilery thoughts on that movie, including some stuff that came at the very... There's some interesting stuff that happens at the end of that movie uh, that's... Yeah, I obviously won't spoil now, but it's in that spoiler car video. Then uh, I put a, a little video up on Tuesday as well, because it was Giving Tuesday, and so just a brief word to Christian geeks on Giving Tuesday, um, and then Finding God in Fantasy, that video went up this week, and then of course uh, Xbox Series X Gameplay Reactions, that went up uh, on Thursday, if uh, if all goes according to plan, I'm uploading it now actually as I record this <laughs> on Thursday. <laughs> Friday, by then, you should be able to see my Guns Akimbo review up uh, on the YouTube channel. And as a reminder, Friday 
If you haven't missed it already, May 8th, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube.com slash Christian Geek Central is my Bang for Buck live stream where I'm going to be hanging out with you guys and uh, giving shout outs to a ton of games. Like, I want to say like 15, oh, more than 15 games. I'm not going to have time to play them all, but in that four hour stretch, I am going to play some of them. Uh, games specifically that I have found have a lot of gameplay to offer, a lot of fun to offer. Just, just You can log a lot of hours in these games for right now, um, as they stand today, uh, a really low price. And that's a low price that's not based on like some sale that's running right now or anything. No, no, these are games that like on average, uh, if you, you know, within months, we'll say, maybe even a year or two of listening of the, of the publication of this episode of the podcast, you should be able to find them, you know, now reduced significantly in price, uh, whatever their regular price is or, uh, used, you know, readily available and, uh, really cheap used. Uh, and I'm actually, my plan is to kind of do like a, like a, like a countdown thing to, from starting with the games that are the, uh, I don't want to say the least, bang for your buck because they're all going to have lots of bang for your buck but just increasingly throughout the evening go through the list and uh, give you and, and counting down to the 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 game the game and you can try to guess what that is that gives you the most bang for your buck on that list so uh anyway i'm looking forward to that that should be a lot of fun that's for everybody that uh, wants to come over and join me at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central Friday, May 8th, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific. While you're there, please like, share, subscribe, click that bell to stay connected to uh, what we're doing there. And then in general, anything you want to do to help spread uh, our content around to those you think can benefit from it, I would be really grateful for. Christian Geekly News highlights from our Twitter feed at Christian underscore geek include Professor John Lennox, who tweeted out, and this was actually retweeted by RZIM. I don't normally follow John Lennox, uh, but I do follow RZIM uh, because they're an organization that, while not specifically geared toward Christian geeks, will occasionally have some things that I think are really relevant to Christian geeks. And this was one of them. John Lennox uh, is a professor they've had featured in some of their content um, over the last couple of years, repeatedly. 2084, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity is the name of his new book, and he's got a picture of him with an advanced copy copy of it um and uh, they, they say you can go to 2084book.com for more information about this uh my comment on it was basically this is an in- uh, an intelligent highly qualified christian thinker on the subject of ai in our future and i think if you've uh, you know if you've listened to me for a while you kind of know my thoughts on this but i i think that so often in science fiction whether that's books video games tv shows movies um, it, it, there is a very naturalistic bent toward representations of artificial intelligence. Um, and there's not, uh, it's sci-fi that, that is, um, that cooperates, like what's it's conducive, that's a uh, consistent, there's some kind of C word I was looking for there. Those are the best I can come up with for now. But sci-fi that, uh, that is consistent with the, the, the biblical worldview of humans having a non-physical component is in the minority. You'll see it in, I think arguably you you see it in the Terminator franchise. Maybe not a hundred percent of the time, but most of the time in the Terminator franchise, that it, they are operating uh, with a view that's consistent with a uh, a spiritual component to humans. But anyway, but this is like a guy who's I mean he's not at all in, interested in writing fiction, as far as I know. He's a really qualified uh, thinker. 
Um, and so it, whether you are just kind of interested in that topic because you're a geek for artificial intelligence, or maybe you're more than that, a uh, someone that's an aspiring writer that would like to write stories um, about artificial intelligence in the future, uh, but would like to do that in a way that's consistent with the biblical worldview, then I think this is a person that you should have an eye on. And maybe this book in particular, 2084, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. Um, I've I've not read it myself. I just have been impressed with uh, Lennox as a, a thinker in the way he's presented himself in talks and interviews and things like that in uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries material. So anyway, that's there for your consideration. Fun Hill Games tweeted out, actually retweeted a Kickstarter tweet, Bible Brawl. Brawl with some of the most iconic and more obscure Bible characters in this two-to-five player card game. This is interesting, uh, this this game that's on Kickstarter right now. It's uh, It has kind of a, a cartoony aesthetic, but it's, it's kind of like a, a rough enough edge to it that it has some, I think like some appeal for me as an adult who's not interested in like kitty flavored art, you know, uh, it's got some rough edges that says to me, okay, yes, this, this maybe does have kids in mind, but I think it has adults in mind too. It's just the art style. I don't know. You can look at it and see for yourself what you think, but the, the basic idea is it's a, it's a competitive card game and kind of a take that game, which, you know, normally, I mean, I'm not going to be interested in that at all. So I'll probably never play this game, but, uh, it's created by two pastors who are also, you know, obviously big into tabletop games. And they just noticed that in most Sunday school curriculums, uh, they really shy away from certain stories in the Bible. Uh, certain really violent things or, you know, weird things or whatever. And they wanted to find a fun way to just kind of uh, make those stories and and. Uh, moments in the Bible, like blips on the radars of kids that are like maybe in their tweens and teens, you know, uh, or just, you know, all audiences. Uh, it's not meant to treat those subjects seriously. I mean, it definitely has just a just a, a lighthearted kind of feel to it. Um, but I think that it, it looks like as long as the game is fun, which I have no idea, if the game is fun, it looks like it'll do its job of just simply saying, hey, here's a crazy game. Did you know some of these people are actually in the Bible and just getting in a fun way, uh, putting stories uh, on people's radar that that might make them curious enough to go, huh, you know, I want to look up this guy Ehud, (laughs) which does actually have a a very cool, violent, but very cinematic feel to his story. It's uh, yeah, pretty neat. Anyway, um, but for links to those stories and to stay up to date on the notable news and events from the wider world of Christian geekery, be sure to follow Christian Geek Central on Twitter at Christian underscore geek. I don't usually say this, but I'll just add here. If you're not into like social media and you don't want to hear like, what did Peter have for breakfast this morning? I don't use social media for that. That's not interesting to me at all. Um, and so if you uh, follow me at Christian underscore geek, all you're going to get with very, very rare exceptions is just uh, retweets and just blips of, of stuff that I think is notable news in the world of specifically Christian geekery. You know, book sales going on and announcements of new video games and, you know, uh, other th- movies and stuff like that occasionally. Um so it's just kind of like uh, a news aggregate type of thing is is the the vision for that. So uh, you're not going to get flooded with my recommendations for peanut butter. <laughs> Or even my thoughts on, oh, this geeky game looks cooler. No, it's not, for, it's not about my opinions. Oh my gosh, Twitter. 
Twitter has plenty. Plenty of those. <laughs> all right. Uh, and now, just a brief reminder that there's a ton of content rolling out all the time from Christian Geek Central. Movie, video game reviews, an ongoing in-depth Bible study with specific geek application, Christian geek industry news, gaming live streams, and a bunch more. And for as little as $1 a month, you can help make sure all that content keeps going and growing into new areas in the future and get yourself some exclusive content as well. And at 30 patrons, of which we are five away right now, we're having a pizza with an asterisk party on Discord. Uh, now, we did have a, uh, a patron drop their support this week and one or two others reduce their support. These are tough times with careful financial decisions that need to be made. So I totally understand, totally expected some reduction in our support. Um, I do want to say, though, to those who are not being impacted financially, and there are some of us, uh, Holly, you know, even though she has a, a significant um, increase in some stress re related to work, we have not been impacted financially. And so uh, if you find yourself in the situation of, you know, you're not being impacted financially by what's going on with the coronavirus, I first want to encourage you to consider your local church and supporting them. And that's what the video was about that I put up this Tuesday, was mostly uh, about reminding geeks to think about their local church and supporting them, as well as just having a readiness to be generous um, with those around you. Uh, then after you consider those things, I want to ask you to think about maybe supporting Spirit Play Productions and Christian Geek Central if my work has been valuable to you. Even $1 a month means a lot to me and actually tangibly makes what I do possible. Whether it's review content, uh, replacing worn out equipment, or uh, purchasing resources for my videos and audio drama work, uh, all this stuff takes kind of money to fuel it. And uh, I'm doing what I'm doing now because of people like you who are choosing to support me. And uh, with your help and theirs, I can continue and do more and new things for you guys in the future. And I want to say again that I'm so grateful for the support of all of our Spirit Blade insiders who have made it possible for me to continue going in this work week to week. For more info, again, visit patreon.com slash Productions. Now for the weekly waistline, 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27. In the ESV that reads, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. As geeks were known for our creativity and intelligence, but not especially known for our self-control when it comes to the pleasures of life, so 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27 is the mission verse for me as I aim to be more responsible with my body and grow in my ability to say no to my various desires in life. My goal has been to lose 6 inches off my starting waistline of 42 inches, and since I do need some help as I develop this discipline, there is a prize pool of fun money waiting for me at the end. For more details about the whole thing, you can listen to episode 565. For now, my weekly waistline is 38.5. So that's a quarter inch loss from last week. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Uh, it had gone up recently, as some of you guys know, because of three weekends in a row that just by happenstance happened to line up in a row where I had stuff going on that uh, just kind of almost inevitably, I shouldn't say inevitably, but almost inevitably involved... Uh, 
just <laughs> gorging <laughs> on, on uh, my favorite terrible things. Um, but this week I was uh, still getting back to my normal discipline. I say getting back because I, I didn't immediately become as strict you know, uh, I mean, I I wasn't actively pursuing, you know, uh, eating junk food or whatever. But uh, but there was a few things. I was like, oh, you know, I'm I'm snacking just a little bit more than I would. You know, eat maybe on still healthy things, but still kind of getting back into the swing of things have, of the normal discipline that I had developed. You know, uh, Sunday was really the first day that I made some choices that were really strict and really hard, actually. Um, and uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, I remember now what this feels like to really say no and really stick to uh this change in my life you know and so i i I feel like for the most part this week i'm now back to my my normal uh you know more conservative and careful and intentional diet um i had some special but healthier er (laughs) chips with uh with my viewing of the xbox the inside xbox event this week um i had a little more fruit juice than i normally would have uh, this morning as well but Nothing too unusual um, last weekend, and I think the same should be true this weekend. So we're getting back into it, back into the swing of things. And for me, a goal has really made the difference. I'm uh, in the middle of Operation Vacation right now, in the middle of July. Whether our vacation plans still work out to be with family out east or we're stuck at home, Holly's still taking the time off, and so it's still going to be a vacation. And uh, so middle of June, by then, I want to be 37 inches or less. And a 38.5 is where I am at this week. So I think this is very doable. I had been on a pace of, you know, roughly a quarter inch per week um, for a while there. And uh, I'm anticipating that I can that I can keep that going. So I'm just a half inch from the lowest I've ever been. So we'll kind of see how this thing looks in a couple weeks. But I'm reminding myself again, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Stay tuned for another update on my weekly waistline next time. going to give my reactions to the Inside Xbox Presents First Look Xbox Series X Gameplay video, (laughs) or live event, or whatever it was. Uh, This was about 20 to 30 minutes of trailers, followed by deeper dives into a few games. Um, I thought that the trailers, there's a lot of cool stuff to look at, and so if you like trailers, they pack a bunch of them into the first, you know, 20, 30 minutes interspersed with just just brief bits of talking here and there. Uh, There were many cool-looking games, but there were also many that had no release dates and that I also just needed to know a lot more about to figure out, okay, is this going to be the kind of game that I'm going to be interested in? So I'm just going to share a few things that really especially stood out to me in this presentation. Also, I'm not an Xbox person. Uh, I've been a PlayStation 4 person with the, for the PS4 and uh, had issues with the Xbox 360. Uh, but I'm really 
looking and waiting and watching to see if they can, if Xbox can entice me back. I'm very open to that at this point. So uh, I watched this with great interest. The first thing that really stood out was the first game that they showed. That was a trailer for Bright Memory Infinite, uh, like a gameplay trailer. This one's coming out for Xbox Series X, PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4. Huh, I didn't see a listing on the uh, website for the game uh, if it's coming out for PlayStation 5. I would guess that it, that it would be. Anyway, uh, it's hard to find some details on this. The Steam page for Bright Memory Infinite has a description that reads, Bright Memory Infinite is an all-new lightning-fast fusion of the, F- of the FPS and action genres created by FYQD Studio. Combine a wide variety of skills and abilities to unleash dazzling combo attacks. Now, when I first saw this trailer, I thought, Oh my gosh, Are they? is this going to be Singularity 2? Because there was something about the UI, maybe some of the color choices in the UI, which is all kind of an in-world, uh, you know, uh, heads-up display for the player, you know, seeing like bullet counts on the actual guns themselves. There was just like, and also the, the energy uh, lasso thing in the left hand, I was like, oh, is, is he going to do some time stuff? There was some slow motion stuff going on. It's not Singularity 2, obviously. <laughs> But I was getting some vibes from it, and you know, it has that Bioshocky kind of vibe where it's a shooter, but it's all about using. It's also about using some gadgets that can manipulate your enemies in in unusual ways. And also, really striking was the hurricane that was going on in the environment that the player was moving through. Uh, and so, just like a really striking visual aesthetic to this whole trailer and not only that speaking of striking aesthetics in the middle of this sci-fi looking shooter was a knight uh and which made me think time travel again brought my mind to singularity but you know i guess not whatever um and uh and then there's vehicle combat in there too which made me think is this an open world or something what the heck is this game i looked at some more trailers for it and it doesn't seem to be open world it seems to be uh emphasizing, yes, freedom of approach to various combat situations, but still based uh, intermittently, at least, on some really big set-piece kinds of moments, which is hard to do in an open world. Not only that, this game uh, is reportedly created from the ground up by a single individual, a representative from Xbox said. Uh, And so the fact that there's no UI elements yet in this trailer and no release date means that I am merely interested and very interested in seeing more about this game but for all we know this thing is still in kind of a pipe dream phase especially if it's just one guy working on it i mean my hat goes off to him for all that he's accomplished just to be able to even if it was a completely fake trailer for a non-existent game that's pretty cool for one person to do but you know the fact that uh, you know this is likely an actual game that's really going to come out is really impressive but that scenario of a one-man development team for a game that looks like this says to me don't hold your breath Hater. <laughs> uh, it's coming to... Oh, wait, no. I don't know if it said it was coming to Smart Delivery, but Smart Delivery was the next thing they talked about. And that's the feature that Xbox has been trumpeting lately, where if you if the publisher opts in to this feature on the Xbox uh, Series X uh, and Xbox One, you can buy the game for Xbox One and then get it for free, basically, on uh, Xbox Series X as well. What was interesting to me about them mentioning it this time is the developer talking about it said, quote, it's also awesome to see the partner support for smart delivery, ensuring that fans only have to purchase the game once to enjoy it on whichever Xbox system they own or will own in the future, unquote. 
Now, maybe those were just sloppy words, but for a presentation like this, even though they're not standing on a big glossy stage, I have to believe they really scripted their, their, this presentation, you know, even though it looks very grassroots because everybody's on their webcams at home, you know. Uh, so notice that wording, to enjoy it on whichever Xbox system they own or will own in the future. That is not merely talking about the one that they own now and the Xbox Series X, but any X, whichever Xbox system they own. So have they inadvertently uh, or actually committed themselves just now through the smart delivery system to making, to future-proofing all games, basically? For as long as Xbox systems are a thing, then they will, you know, provide versions of games that you buy now that will be compatible on future. Basically, they're committing to be GOG, you know, <laughs> who continues to make really old games playable on new operating systems on PCs, even as those operating systems update and change. Are they really committing themselves to that kind of future? I, my jaded heart says that was just, he was speaking way too broadly there. They're really just talking about the next generation of Xbox consoles, which is going to be, sounds like, more than one, you know, especially with a name like Series X. But anyway, that was a pretty, uh, uh, pretty interesting wording there. Um, the question that also came to mind, which I don't think I've heard addressed anywhere, and please correct me and provide a link if uh, I'm mistaken about this, but I don't think there's been talk yet about game saves. So if I, the question I have is if I buy a game on Xbox One and play it for 30 hours, but it's a 60 hour game, then I get an Xbox Series X console. Can I not only play the game on my Series X console, but also bring my save over so I can just continue playing it on the new console? That is something that I have not heard about yet, so uh, if you know something, I would love to hear about it. Next thing that jumped out to me was Scorn, aka H.R. Giger, the game. <laughs> and that's because the visual design um, I mean, it says on the website, inspired by, I was looking at this visual design, I was like, this had to have been created by H.R. Giger, who's famous for creating the visual designs for the Alien franchise, in particular the first movie, I think maybe, uh, well, at least the following movies were based on his designs, but I think he didn't come back and actually do original design work again until the third one, anyway, blah blah blah, it's a different topic. Um, but I looked at this, I was like, this is Giger is all get out. <laughs> um, and it's coming to Xbox Game Pass, uh, which I think is really interesting. Um, I looked at the website and it didn't have a listing saying that it was going to be coming to PlayStation 5. Now, maybe that's just because PlayStation 5 isn't really talking about itself uh, much, if at all, yet. Uh, and so partners, developers, stuff like that, third-party developers aren't, uh, you know, associating their games with it yet. But uh, I would think if this was actually an, an exclusive console or exclusive game for Xbox consoles, that they would have trumpeted that, but they didn't. So I, I have to think it is almost certainly coming to uh, PlayStation's console as well. Uh, on the Scorn website, it says, Scorn is an atmospheric first-person horror adventure game set in a nightmarish universe of odd forms and somber tapestry. I've heard that description a number of times because it's been an ad on some podcasts that I've listened to for the, like the last two years. I think the two years ago was the first time I heard that description. We still didn't see any gameplay, just lots of atmospheric, atmospheric CG stuff. So, I mean, for all I know, this, this is not a game. It's just kind of like this... CG created uh, art show, you know. So uh, I'm interested, but there's no date. This is not even close to anything that looks like gameplay. So I'm not 
optimistic. Um, I'll just, it's just a blip on my radar. Um, next up is Chorus, uh, which uh, on the chorusthegame.com website, the description reads, Take control of Nara, once the Circle's deadliest warrior, now their most wanted fugitive, on a quest to destroy the dark cult that created her. Uh, no, 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 on the quest, no, no, period. All right, <laughs> unlock devastating weapons and mind-bending abilities in a true evolution of the space combat shooter. Along with Forsaken, her sentient starfighter, explore ancient temples, engage in exhilarating zero-G combat, and venture beyond our waking reality. Uh, description goes on to say, lead Nara, an ace pilot facing her haunted past, and Forsaken, her sentient ship, on a quest for redemption across the galaxy. So, interesting theme there. Enter a dark new universe teeming with mystery that balances the scale and spectacle of exploration with fast-paced action. Well, I love big worlds to explore, um, so that has my interest as well. And then finally they say, attain unique weapons, unlock deadly abilities, chain powers together to become the ultimate living weapon. Still very little that can be discerned about the gameplay here, even with what they you know show in the trailer. Uh, it's coming to current and next-gen consoles and PC in 2021. That's interesting that in 2021 it'll still be coming to current-gen consoles, but I want lots more info about the gameplay, but, you know, I am mildly interested as much as I can be from what has been revealed. Next up, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. This is coming to PC and consoles in 2020. Now, this one I think has been delayed at least once, maybe twice, uh, but I still was interested in seeing it again, despite some of that stuttering in its uh, rollout. Um, it's a sequel to what I guess you'd describe as a cult hit. Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines uh, came out, I want to say late 90s, I'm not sure, but uh, it had kind of a rough release, I think, because of some buggy stuff, but with patches and stuff, really developed a, a passionate following, and so there are def there's definitely a passionate fan base that's looking forward to this game. I'm interested in it just because it looks like a, a first-person RPG, heavily choice-driven, where you, you can really choose how you want to play not only your combat situations, but how you want to navigate your place in the world. You know, there's a lot of political navigations as you make your place in this underground society of vampires. It's based, of course, on the vampire, uh, the masquerade, paper and pencil role-playing game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested, but I, I want to know a lot more about the RPG systems in particular before I say that this is definitely one that I, I plan on picking up. Next up was The Medium. I don't have a lot to say about this one. It's coming holiday 2020 and is going to be part of Xbox Game Pass. What was striking to me, I mean, first off, just the supernatural theme of mediums and how uh, today, you know, that, uh, you know, someone who is a medium can be a hero in a game and, you know, that's the, these kind of like more occultic type things or new age type things and stuff are just much more embraced. I mean, that's just kind of the relativistic uh, pop spiritual soup culture that, uh, that that we live in right now. Um, what was striking to me, though, is that this, she seems to be, I think, a Christian medium. Um, at least they're saying that that kind of thing is possible. You know, she seems to be praying in one or two brief scenes in a, in a church that in its interior definitely has a Catholic vibe to it, and then when they show an exterior shot, which I believe is meant to be the same building, there's very clearly a cross on the top of the building before it gets dissolved by the wiping away into the spirit world and stuff like that. So, uh, just kind of like the combination of those elements I find interesting. As far as gameplay goes, 
as long as it's not like a survival horror experience, but it's more about story and choice and maybe some light puzzle solving and just kind of exploring this world and stuff, uh, then I might be down for that kind of uh, gameplay. But still a lot more that I want to know before it releases again in holiday 2020. And uh, then finally, Assassin's Creed Valhalla gameplay. Uh, I would put that word in quotes. That's what they were saying was coming um, for this presentation. It was introduced as the game as gameplay debut for this game. It was described as gameplay in the text on the screen. Uh, oh, I should mention before I forget, it's it's uh, coming to smart. It's going to have smart delivery. Um, but they didn't look like gameplay at all. I mean, I'm going to put, uh, if you're watching the video version of this, um, instead of the Christian Geek Central podcast version, I'm going to put a little box in the corner somewhere that shows this thing, uh, maybe on a loop or something. You tell me if you spot some gameplay in there somewhere. Uh, and after that trailer showed, the um, PR guy from Xbox talking to a PR guy, well, actually, maybe a creative developer or something like that, um, from uh, Ubisoft, the, the Xbox PR guy said, with like a really like a like this is supposed to be a rhetorical question and he really hyped up moment he says did i just see new assassin's creed gameplay for the first time and i would be asking the the question more like um did i just see new assassin's creed gameplay for the first time <laughs> and the developer replied yeah absolutely that was directly from the game I'm thinking to myself, wow, uh, what did I miss? I looked at that footage multiple times, and if I'm really trying to be on their side on this one, I could say that maybe one or two moments in there were quick time gameplay moments that they just haven't they're just not showing us the button presses that are... Sp I really hope there's no quick time crap in the next Assassin's Creed game. But that's the most I can think of because the camera is not behaving at all like a player would typically use the camera. Uh, th these moments, what they look like is in-engine footage. You know, I, I don't know. that Do people really describe watching a cinematic as playing the game? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But this is like really stretching the definition of gameplay a ton. And it actually just looked like another cinematic trailer, you know. Um, so if you see some gameplay in there, leave me a time marker on the uh, YouTube video uh, that you're watching now. And, uh, and let me know where you think it is. Um, I'd be interested in knowing. Uh, aside from that, uh, we learned nothing new uh, from this about this game compared to what they've already revealed, you know. Uh, and so this really was a reminder to me to not get hyped. <laughs> <laughs> not get hyped about these kinds of reveals. Um, maybe especially for Ubisoft, given the way that they kind of communicate. But uh, I don't know. I mean, usually I think when they've said gameplay, they actually show us something that definitely looks a lot more like gameplay. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, if devs and, and publishers uh, can intentionally or otherwise misrepresent truth in ways as obvious as this, then I think we should consider all other... Uh, consider all the other less obvious misrepresentations of truth that we are likely being given all the time, you know. Uh, now, maybe this is a big misunderstanding and the camera is just behaving in radically different ways and they aren't showing the, the user interface elements yet. Those are possibilities. Um, but, I mean, all kinds of things are possible. I'm trying to go off of what is most probably, most likely true. And I would be shocked to find out uh, that this was actually gameplay, that, that this is footage of what a player will control at any point in this game. 
Um, now, I love, love playing a lot of Ubisoft games, but upholding truth both in their game worlds and here in their PR work just doesn't seem to be a priority for them. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's my reaction to that anyway. And that's all for now. We're well into several weeks now of having our lives turned upside down with the ongoing COVID-19 crisis. Many people have been furloughed or have lost their jobs. Schools have been closed, and it looks like they won't be opening back up anytime soon, leaving parents to assume the roles of teachers. And teachers, like myself, are struggling to reach out and teach over the internet. First responders of all stripes are having to risk their lives daily in order to perform their jobs to the best of their capabilities, and large cities have become virtual ghost towns. Meanwhile, the case numbers continue to rise. It can be easy to live in despair and fear in our homes during this time, when the outside world seems so deadly and dangerous. However, it's important that now, more than ever, we hold on to hope. And if you're reading this and are like me, you know that that hope comes from Jesus Christ. You may read that and roll your eyes and dismiss the idea, but I have to be honest. Throughout all of this, even now, I'm not afraid of what the future holds. Does that mean I don't care? Not at all. My heart was broken this month when news of a beloved school principal passed away due to the virus a day after news of his diagnosis became known. I'm taking precautions to make sure I keep a far distance from others outside of my household and am withholding travel unless it's absolutely necessary. There have been some joys about being homebound during this time. I've gotten to take more walks in my neighborhood and enjoy the nice weather we've had. It was interesting seeing so many people outside of their houses working on their gardens and other outdoor home projects. I've had more time on focusing on things that I've been neglecting, such as reading and practicing my music, things I enjoy that I usually do in a rush when I'm crunched for time. At the same time, though, deep down, we know that none of this is normal. Those of us who have not been as deeply impacted by the outbreak are in shock by how quickly we have come to this point. Events and vacation plans are being canceled. Traveling is basically non-existent. Life has pretty much been put at a standstill. All of these concerns are valid and need to be exercised so that this doesn't become worse before it gets better. But we should not allow ourselves to live in a fearful state of mind, one that makes us stop living. On my very first article for this blog, I mentioned that I had created Hope, Play, and Love because I was a great lover of stories and the art of storytelling. I believe God is the ultimate storyteller and that we can look at the story being written currently as one that's in its climax, the dark moment when all hope seems lost. But hope is never really gone from the world, not in God's book. Through most of the stories and games you play, we enjoy happy endings the most, or at least endings with satisfactory conclusions. We watched, read, and played well during these journeys. It ends up feeling like we've earned those endings, and we depart from them feeling satisfied. We're in a journey right now, enduring a heavy bump in the road. How we respond to these circumstances may affect how it's wrapped up for us in the end. I want to recommend for you three games here that you and your family can play during this time of quarantine. Of course, there are many more out there that I could recommend for you, but definitely try to check out these and see if they're your cup of tea. The first game I would recommend for you is Flower, released in 2009 by That Game Company. 
Flower is probably unlike any other game I've ever played, which is a unique statement to make when you know how innovative video games are becoming. There's no dialogue throughout its entirety, yet it's a story that's still present as you channel the wind in various directions through fields of wildflowers, creating a colorful stream of petals that you can twist and turn in the air with. The music really helps tell the story you undertake, and is gentle and serene. It really encompasses the idyllic path you undertake in the world of Flower. It's by no means a very long game to complete either. The entire story would take only a handful of hours to complete, but it is a game that will stay with you long after you shut it off. Give Flower a chance and see how it's a game that reinvents the idea of what it means to tell a story that you can play through and control. The second game I would recommend for you is Dragon Age Origins, released in 2009 by BioWare. The world in Dragon Age Origins is similar to the one we're facing right now in that there is a mysterious disease affecting its denizens all over with something called the Blight. It's enough to poison their minds and corrupt their souls, which is where you come into play. You are a Grey Warden, or a special warrior with the only means available to rid of the cause of the Blight the Darkspawn. Dragon Age will not be for everyone. It is rated M for Mature, and does have some dark themes and choices the character can make, as well as blood, gore, and sexual actions. However, hope is still present throughout as you gather an army of different races and backgrounds together for a final stand to rid the powerful evil once and for all. If the description sounds interesting to you, and you feel you are spiritually mature enough to handle the more mature themes and scenes, then I would definitely recommend this game for you. If you enjoy it, there is Dragon Age 2 which takes place after this one, although I've not played that, and Dragon Age Inquisition, the third entry in the franchise. This one I have played and completed. The third game I would recommend for you is one you've probably already heard of by this point. It is Animal Crossing New Horizons, released in 2020 by Nintendo. This one might seem a little obvious, it's the newest hit just released from Nintendo in late March, and it really couldn't have come at a better time. If you're unfamiliar with the Animal Crossing franchise, it's a social simulation series where your character lives in a village and interacts with anthropomorphic animals while carrying out various activities such as fishing, planting flowers, selling fruit and insects, and fossil hunting. There's much more to the series than that, but it's well known that Animal Crossing is just one of those series that you can pick up, play, and just relax. There's no pressure or time limit present. You're free to do whatever you wish in your village at whatever time of day or night you choose. It's fitting then that New Horizons has been hailed as the perfect game to play during this time, when most if not all of us have been cooped up indoors in order to practice social distancing. I've been able to play New Horizons a bit since purchasing it, and it really does a good job just making you feel good and at home, which is what I believe most of us wanted this time. Again, there are many other games I could recommend that would be great to play if you're stuck at home because of the outbreak. If there's one game you're playing right now that I haven't mentioned, let me know. I would love to know what you're enjoying right now. I want to end this by encouraging you again to hold on to hope during this time. Life is and always will be uncertain. However, learn to pray and choose joy no matter what the circumstances are. We're in for some rough times ahead, but that's no reason to give up and stop living life. It's all the more reason we should keep on going and take care of each other, even if we're not physically present to do so. Meditate on this last piece of scripture below. 
know its truth in your own life and for the lives of those you care about, that God is looking out for you and loves you always, even in the bleakest of times. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 14, 27. My name is Andrea Riccati, and you can find me at my blog, andreavercati.com, also known as Hope, Play, and Love. I write about finding the everyday joys God provides both in media and outside of it. You can also find me on Twitter at Hope, Play, and Love. Thank you for that, Andrea. Definitely a Dragon Age Origins fan uh, as well myself. Uh, and I also want to add, guys, that if you listen to Andrea, uh, Andrea, excuse me, <laughs> uh, and thought, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to trust in the hope I have uh, because of Jesus. But how do I freaking do that? How do I turn what I believe in my head into how I feel from day to day with all that life is freaking throwing at me? Um, and I am with you. I feel those same frustrations. I ask those same questions and I'm just learning more and more. It's a process. And I think it actually is going to look different for everybody. And I think that's why it's so vital to be a part of a church that fosters a community of grace where we can confess our struggles and doubts without fearing that we're going to be judged or kind of mentally demoted by other people in their minds, you know? Um, I mean, who knows what's actually going on with other people's minds, but in a, in an atmosphere that is really about grace, you're not really going to be picking up on that happening. You know, um, if you want to find a church like that, stay tuned and just a little bit in the podcast, I'll let you know how I might be able to help. Incoming transmission. This week, via email, heard from Gabriel Stinson. He said, how's it going? Great Kingdoms of Amalur video. Gabriel's a fellow fan of Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. He goes on to say, have you read the Passion Translation of the Bible? I absolutely love it. Assassin's Creed Valhalla looks great. At least the CGI trailer does. I'll probably wait to get it sometime next year uh, for the PS5. Some of the load times in Odyssey were way too long. Uh, well, thanks, Gabriel, first off, for your encouragement about the video. I haven't read the Passion Translation, or I've, I haven't even heard of it until you mentioned it to me, so I will have to check that out sometime. Um, I'm doing good. The weekend was interesting, as I was in a bit of a funk over issues related to death again. Um, some of you guys know that I turned 40 a couple years ago, and and uh, since then, I, I've not been having what I would describe as a midlife crisis but I'm having what I would describe as a midlife sobering. <laughs> and uh, I've just been um, recurringly throughout the last couple years having these little uh, seasons, brief seasons, maybe a day here and there, you know, uh, on a fairly regular basis where I'm just kind of like thinking about death and the various things related to that. Me dying, my kids dying, Holly dying, you know, uh, eternity, the unknown, you know, there's all kinds of facets of the whole death issue, you know. And uh, so I was in a bit of a funk over the weekend thinking about some of those things. I think God has given me some direction in how to grow in my confidence in his promises and uh, perspective on some of those thoughts. So uh, each day I've felt like, well, I don't have all the answers I want, but I've got enough to trust God for the hours left in this day. 
So I'm developing some trust that he will give me what I need when I actually need it in that regard. Uh, looking forward to Valhalla 2 on the lighter subject of video games. Um, that, <laughs> but without the video game context and just talking about death, that sounds a little odd coming from a Christian. Looking forward to Valhalla. <laughs> uh, and you bring up, uh, Gabriel, a really good point about the loading times. I've noticed that lately during uh, initial game loading and fast traveling in Assassin's Creed Odyssey as I'm kind of endeavoring to finish that up, finish up all the DLC in that. Um, and I, I've noticed it enough, the you know the fast traveling load times in particular, that I, sometimes I just opt to ride my horse. I'm like, how far is this place? I'm just going to ride my horse. At least I get some scenery while I wait. <laughs> uh, um, and more and more, you know, on, kind of related to that topic, I'm thinking this may be the first time I get a new console at launch. I've never done that before. I've always been... I was raised in uh, a home where we were late, late adopters for technology um, because I was raised by two elementary school pub public school teachers. You know, they are not rolling in cash. <laughs> and so uh, I inherited what I have come to call for many years the France and cheap gene, which in addition to desiring cheap things also seems to work like a superpower sometimes like bargains will just find their way to me. It's been a while. It's been a while. But, I, you know, I would, like, go to stores and, and be like, oh, well, you're the 100th customer. You get $5 off your order today. Well, there you go. That's the France and cheap gene. <laughs> or just when I finally decide I'm going to go buy something, then I'll discover that it's on sale this weekend only. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's really it's really subjective. I think that I, w I would just kind of, like, see... What I wanted to see. Because who doesn't want to believe they have a superpower? I want to believe I have superpowers. I know it's kind of a lame superpower. But just give it to me, people. Just let me have it. <laughs> just let me believe that. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, I don't think... I've, I've been thinking about, like, because of the work that I do, you know... Uh, I thought... I, I, you know, just like I do when I'm reviewing games... Sometimes I'll be persuaded to buy a game just a little bit sooner than I would have normally um, because of the because I'm planning on reviewing it, you know. And so it's the same thing, you know, as I thought about the console launch. I'm like, uh, and it's so much money, you know, to buy a console that I'm like, I don't think it's going to I don't think it's going to sway me. You know, it's a it's maybe a little, you know, like a like a big pillowcase or not less than a pillowcase. It's probably like a Ziploc bag of feathers in weight in terms of, <laughs> I mean, stuffed in there pretty good. So it does have some weight, you know, but not not really significant weight, just a just one of, you know, many contributing factors uh, that makes me think, you know, well, maybe I would maybe I would buy it earlier. But the more contributing, well, the first of all, the biggest contributing factor for me is always what games do they have? And can I get an experience playing it on the new console that is going to be worth it to put down at this particular time the hundreds of dollars required to get this new console? You know, if I would have been into and I'm going off I, like I, I when I read your emails, guys, and my responses to them, I oftentimes will just kind of like read my response but uh, sometimes I just add a bunch of stuff. So if you can't tell, I'm adding a bunch of stuff to the original email I responded to Gabriel with. But um, what was I saying? Oh, crap. I don't know. I lost it completely. Should I pause and go back and listen so I can recover that train of thought? Hmm. No, I don't think I want to do that. 
Uh, oh, yeah, okay, so games. This this is close enough. Uh, games, like, oh, okay, now I got it, I got it, was Shadows of Mordor. If I would have been a Shadows of Mordor fan when that came out, because remember, that was a, that was a cross-gen game, um, it didn't have the Nemesis system on the Xbox 360 version. That was only for PS4 and Xbox One that it had the Nemesis because the the older consoles couldn't handle that that uh, new processing you know element. So I could see that. For me, I I don't think it would be like enough to. Um, well, let's see. I did buy my console specifically for Dragon Age Inquisition because I was like, I'm gonna get this anyway, and. Um, and I knew that the graphics were going to look better. So I think that kind of thing could sway me. In the end, that, you know, that experience wasn't great enough that looking back on it, you know, I, I could have waited. I could have waited. <laughs> there were many better experiences I had on my PS4. Uh, but anyway, but this time, I, I may buy a new console at launch, trying to get back to my response to Gabriel here. Um, and primarily for the decreased lo- the decreased load times of current gen games, not even for new games, but like Pillars of Eternity two. If you guys listened to or saw my review, those load times I cannot abide. Those load times I just don't think I can. I I you know I said in my review that if they fix the other stuff, I could probably do it. And yes, I think I could. But here I have all these other games that I'm really enjoying. And I ended up buying for like less than 20 bucks the enhanced edition of Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 with the Siege of Dragon Spear also included on there. Because I realized it's been long enough that if I want this kind of uh, this kind of gameplay, I could go back to this and be ready to play it again. You know, so I didn't, you know, um, yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't worth it to me. It wasn't worth it to me to uh, to, to deal with those load times. So, but man, it, if that one is ready to play and with load times eliminated at the launch, which, you know, it will be as far as I can tell, then that game could be the reason that I buy a, a new console at launch. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not thrilled about that idea. I've always appreciated getting consoles when they drop in price or at least have some of the kinks worked out of the hardware. That's probably the thing that concerns me even more. I was like, ah, I do not want to be the guinea pig that discovers the new red ring of death on the new consoles, whatever, you know. But still, I'm steadily saving at this point, have been for years, to try and be responsible, and it will be a considered and calculated decision in the end. So uh, hopefully I can at least, whatever my decision is, avoid it being one that's emotionally charged with God's help. We'll see. But thanks for that, Gabriel. It was really good to hear from you. Uh, Stefan emailed and said, Hi, Peter. Right now, I'm extremely bothered by irresponsible Christians. I have a lot of people in my circle that seem to believe Corona is all fake, and I hate the thought that those people could infect others because of carelessness. I'm also aware of the rationale of some of their arguments that aren't so bad. That makes it even more scary, actually. I can see how this situation could be abused by secular power or the powers of darkness. I would like your perspective and would appreciate biblical references. I can see how some people argue for end-time stuff, and some of that could be true. Yet, according to Peter in Acts 2, we've been in the end time since Pentecost, and so on. Don't know. Do you get my point and struggle? Blessings, Stefan. Um... Yeah, Stefan, I can relate to your frustration with other Christians, just briefly commenting on that. I certainly feel that uh, at times. As far as the coronavirus, my perspective um, 
is that it would take a grossly implausible amount of coordination to fake something like this. I personally know at least two people in the medical field who are facing issues with the virus on a regular basis. Uh, so I just can't mentally get to a place where so many people are part of a conspiracy to invent uh, a fake virus. Now that said, I'm very confident that countless people, and likely demons as well, have used the realities of the virus to further their own agenda, leveraging its potential to produce fear or anxiety or irrational thinking in order to manipulate people and even exaggerating to bolster their points. I think that's definitely going on. Uh, I think our responsibility as Christians is to, as I say at the end of every Christian Geek Central podcast episode, seek the truth. Um, that, that whole idea is seeking the truth in all areas of life, seeking the truth. Yes, of course, in scripture, but seeking the truth about ourselves and seeking the truth about the world around us, you know, uh, just basing our thoughts on truth and finding out what the truth is so that we can, uh, you know, accurately base our thoughts on truth. Um, I'd possibly make observations from a couple parts of scripture since you asked for, uh, some scripturally based thoughts. First Timothy two. Verses 6 and 7 in the ESV says, For this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is Paul writing to Timothy. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, this is one that gets quoted a lot, was quoted a lot when things started to flare up at the beginning with the coronavirus. It does take some unpacking. I'm not going to do a proper unpacking of it here, but I'll just make a couple observations that I think are, are worth seeing here. Paul tells Timothy that he should, he's telling him to take an action. He tells him to do something, to fan into flame the gift of God that's in him, specifically in Timothy through the laying on of Paul's hands. Um, but to fan into flame the gift of God within him, um, evidently because Timothy was in danger of being dominated by fear, because he says, for, the transitional word, for, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Um, so likewise, we have the responsibility to nurture the spiritual gifts God has given us uh, in both love for others. I think sometimes this verse, we get focused just on, on the, you know, the fact that not a spirit of fear, but we don't think really about this, this second part of the verse. It says, well, what, have, what kind of spirit have we been given? Um, uh, power, that one gets thought of, I think, a lot, but also, love and self-control. Uh, and love in particular. Um, there's that We should be thinking about what's most loving to others around us in the midst of times where we might be tempted to fear. To get our, get our minds outside of just ourselves for a little bit. And then in, be in control of ourselves. So fanning into flame, nurturing those spiritual gifts that God has given us um, in a mode of love for others and in a mode of uh, controlling ourselves. So that we will experience the strong uh, gifts of God in the face of things that make others afraid. Philippians 4, 4 through 9 is also an important passage when it comes to sources of fear or anxiety. I can be an anxious person and have all kinds of imaginative anxious thoughts. So this has been a very important passage for me in recent years. Uh, in the midst of those times of fearful thoughts or anxious thoughts, it's vital that we pursue truth and remind ourselves of truth. And I think we see that in verse uh, 5 of Philippians 4 and verse 8 of Philippians 4, uh, that we should be reasonable people and people that think of truth, that are bringing truth to mind. 
when it comes to controversial issues, we tend to gravitate toward extremes. You know, recent example would be coronavirus could likely be the end of the world or coronavirus isn't a real threat. You know, will this will this somehow be a domino thing that eventually leads to the end of the world? I don't know. I don't know. But I don't think we there's indications that this is likely the beginning of the end of the world. That's that's an that's an extreme position to me. Um, and, uh, I, likewise, I think the saying coronavirus isn't a real threat is an extreme, uh, position, um, to say that, that, that it's not a real threat. It's a real threat. Um, people are dying, you know, not everybody. This is not an instant death plague, but, uh, to say it's not a real threat. I, th- I think that's, so those are the kinds of extremes I think we're looking at right now, but the truth is more nuanced requiring careful thought and discernment instead of being at the polar end of these emotionally uh, or pride driven extremes. Um, I've made some more comments on this and on Philippians four, four through nine in episode five ninety four of the Christian geek central podcast at the 59 minute 48 second mark, or you can watch my uh, YouTube video, Christian geeks in uncertain times, Christian geeks in uncertain times at youtube.com slash Christian geek central. Uh, as for the topic of the end times and Acts chapter two, there are different views among Christians about the nature of what we typically call the end time. So it's definitely not cut and dried. Uh, in Acts two, Peter, as far as consensus goes, I'm sure some people would say, well, it's cut and dried to me, Peter. I mean, as far as consensus in the body of Christ. Okay. <laughs> in Acts two, Peter specifically uses, <laughs> Oh, boy. I was just thinking about how some of us geeks can really dig in our heels about some things and be totally unaware of just our abrasiveness. So I was imagining this fictitious person based on some real-world encounters I've had with geeks. (laughs) All my people, though. All my people. Anyway, in Acts 2, Peter specifically uses the phrases the last days and the day of the Lord. In the ESV, anyway. Um, I would suggest that, so so he doesn't use like the end times as a phrase there. I would suggest that while we have been in the last days, as he's talking about there, since the time of the apostles, we're still waiting, even in the midst of the coronavirus for the day of the Lord, the time of God's final judgment, which is the time most people I think are talking about when they say the end times, you know, when it really hits the fan, you know, they're talking about the day of the Lord or just before the day of the Lord, you know? Um, and, uh, I don't think we have reason to believe that's where we are now, the day of the Lord, or even just before the day of the Lord. Um, things right now, globally speaking, aren't near as bad as they will be when that time comes, even though some vulnerable people are experiencing some terrible tragedy and suffering. So all of that would be my take on things for what it's worth. Um, thank you for asking. Thanks for getting in touch. I, I really enjoy just kind of unpacking what you know whatever you guys want to talk about. That that wasn't of of special interest maybe to Christian geeks, but I I love interacting with you guys about whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're contemplating or frustrated with or whatever. Uh it's an honor to be invited into that process with you. Uh Drew Rub invited me into something really deep on his heart. He said simply Lose three zillion geek creds for forgetting our beloved princess's name. (laughs) I deserve that, Drew. I do. I do. (laughs) I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Uh, My brain, I mean, any other day, I could say Carrie Fisher. Any other day, any other day. 
But not that day. For some reason, it just left. It was gone. Sorry about that, guys. I let you down. Let you down. Over on the forums at uh, ChristianGeekCentral.com, John Wilkerson posted a, a thread titled Cyberpunk 2077 ESRB Rating Summary. This has been making a bit of news among uh, games media outlets and personalities and things like that. I didn't quite feel like making a, you know, a video on it. Um, I thought if I wanted to, I could include this in my comments when Cyberpunk 2077 does its big blowout in early June. Maybe, you know, I'll comment then. But anyway... John Wilkerson says, uh, well, he's quoting here, actually. Uh, the game contains, well, no, first he says, the game contains nudity and sexual material. And then he quotes uh, the ESRB, I believe. Players can select a gender and customize their character. Customization can include depictions of breasts, buttocks, and genitalia, as well as various sizes and combinations of genitals. He goes on to say, needless to say, it's rated M for are you out of your freaking mind? <laughs> and he did some creative things with uh, capital and lowercase letters there that I got to kick out of. And then the two of you just put like memes or emojis or whatever the crap for uh, shocked reactions. <laughs> and uh, I just added my uh, two cents and said, yeah, um, totally off the rails um, and just feels like a temperature read of where we're at today. I think the game like this and even the story that I suspect they're planning on telling, the setting that they want to tell that story in, does not require this. Uh, but I'm less shocked than uh, the two of you guys that kind of uh, added your reactions because I've played the Saints Row games, which I would understand and support uh, the the fact that many of you have not played those games. They're, they can be pretty crass. And so it's one of those games that falls in the category of like entertainment that like I have no idea who I would recommend this to, you know, among my among Christians, you know, and even non-Christians, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I've played the Saints Row games, which give you very similar sounding options. You can increase, I think they call it package size or breast size or whatever. That said, Saints Row, uh, even as an M-rated game, blurred out actual nudity and those size adjustments were made while your character's either covered by clothing that you selected or covered by little uh, pixelated, you know, blurring that they would put if you, you know, had them disrobed in your, you know, while you're changing their clothes or whatever. Um, and so, you know, uh, those options were basically included as jokes. Uh, and seeing these options here uh, being talked about for Cyberpunk 2077, which apparently involve full genital nudity, I mean, we'll see, you know. Um, I mean, many of us won't see, uh, I'll probably, I'll probably investigate just to see the functionality as it was, I'm doing my review. That's something that I, you know, I'll do in games that does not make the cut in the video for obvious reasons, you know, uh, but I want to let people know kind of like what they might be up against, what potential sources of temptation might be in the game. And so anyway, just the inclusion in this particular instance strikes me as enabling unhealthy behavior. Uh, I don't think they're doing that intentionally. Um, I think that they just, you know, I mean, they're 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 not believers, and so I think we shouldn't be like shocked and wagging our fingers and stuff like that. And, and I don't think you guys were doing this, you know, in your reactions. You were just like, "What the crap? Where have we come to?" You know. Um, but uh, but as a side note, um, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't be uh, like uh, wagging our fingers and and clutching our pearls, as they say, you know, at the choices that non-believers are making, you know. Um, and I don't have any reason to think that anybody involved in the development of Cyberpunk 2077 is a is a Bible-believing Christian, you know. So, 
Uh, so that it's not shocking to me in that regard. And, you know, but, uh, but it's, and I don't think they're doing it intentionally. I don't think they realize, you know, the, the potential harm in, in including a system like this. Um, and of course, you know, as you might suspect, games, media personalities are approving it, um, as being both, I mean, not across the board. I'm sure there's some that aren't, you know, in the mainstream. I, I don't know. I don't know. But the ones that I've seen, you know, are approving of it as being both supportive to multiple gender identities. Of course, that's going to be a big, you know, a, a common note. I think you'll, you'll hear in games media. Um, and then also defending it as being in keeping with the themes of body modification inherent to the cyberpunk genre. I will almost give them that, uh, because I think that, you know, that could be part of the motive, but I think that you can give a player those options without displaying the genitals. You know, I think you could just in some kind of a, you know, uh, you could do it in a text-based thing. You there's just, just go to a menu that gives stats on their genitals, their their uh, uh, physical genital makeup or whatever, who they will be physically compatible with given their the, the chosen genitals. And you could let them... Did you know that you could hear the word genitals that many times in this podcast? I'm sorry, uh, everybody. <laughs> Parents in particular, if you are... Well, no, you're not driving your kids to school if you're listening to this uh, when it gets released. Um, if you're just catching up a long time from now, well, that's why you should listen every week when the show comes out. <laughs> no. I am sorry if I put anybody in a dicey situation. Uh, normally for something like this, I would mention uh, earlier in advance that, uh, hey, I'm going to be saying genitals and and uh, biologically correct terms. <laughs> Haven't said the P word yet. I don't think I'll need to. Anyway, um, so I think that, uh, you know, that could be part of their genuine argument. Um, where, where are my notes here? Um, I think these will be the reasons given for the feature if the development team gives a comment on it, you know, as far as like uh, uh, supporting multiple gender identities and then also the themes of the cyberpunk themes. I think those will be the responses they give if they give any on why. But I also suspect a, a, a prideful, edgy subversiveness for the sake of being edgy and subversive, uh, based on one of the comments that one of the developers made a couple weeks ago about the ratings. You know, it's like, yeah, we're not effing around, you know. Okay. Um, as well as, uh, I also suspect an underlying, unspoken, um, maybe even unwitting, objectification of the human body and human sexuality. Uh, this is just where we're at. It's what we gravitate toward. We, you, we don't even think of it as objectifying, but when we strip sexuality of its meaning and purpose and value, all that's left is an object. And so when we don't have any rules about what we do with our bodies, you know, whether it's when we're alone or when we are with others, if we don't have any purpose that is guiding the decisions we make with our bodies, then our bodies are mere valueless objects. You know, and so that's what I mean when I say they're objectifying. They they might they probably don't think of it as objectifying the human body and human sexuality and human beings themselves. Uh, but I I suspect that's what's going on. Um, I mean, this is just where we're at, and what we gravitate toward when we remove meaning, purpose, and value from human sexuality. Our bodies then just become purposeless, valueless amusement parks that we try to get fun out of wherever and however we can get it with no restrictions because there's no purpose so why not you know um also on the forums uh i posted under in search of truth or seeking truth or whatever that that forum part of the forums is called my fear defeaters project um 
this week, actually it was last week, I think, when I posted this, I started a document I titled Fear Defeaters Project, which I'm using to systematically address some ongoing sources of worry in my life. So basically, I list the fear, its cause, its defeater, support verses, and support reasoning. And uh, it's been a useful document because sometimes uh, one fear that I'll say, oh, I have a fear of blank, it's actually I could... I could dissect it into multiple facets. Yes, it's like death, for example, as I mentioned earlier on. You know, a fear of death can have all kinds of, well, whose death? My death? The process of dying? What comes after death? You know, so all these different things, all these facets, and then the reasons for them. It's unpleasant to sit and think about the things that worry you and why they worry you. But I found it so far to be very worthwhile to really just take some time and tears came, you know, uh, I mean, like actual weeping alone in my office, you know, as I really marinated in these and confronted them and identified them, not for the purpose of just sitting in them, but identifying them and putting into words the the, the cause of these various fears or these various worries and things like that. And once I had them identified, I can, and out on paper or a text document in this case, then I can identify it's the, the fear itself, the cause, what the defeater would or should be that's that's based in what's actually true just based on reason or scripture itself and then any support verses and support reasoning so that i can rehearse reminding myself of the truth uh when these irrational fears come to mind you know so i imagine it's going to be a document that even when filled out i'm going to look at repeatedly to refresh my memory to refine my arguments um, if any of you are familiar with cognitive therapy, I mean, this does have like s- some para- some real parallels with cognitive therapy. You know, it's not formally cognitive therapy, but it's the principle is the same, you know. Um, and so, and I'm just in things I've been reading and stuff. Gary Habermas is a, a great resource related to dealing with doubt. He's also probably the foremost uh, authority on defending the resurrection using, um, what's it called? The minimal facts argument, which is to say, defending the resurrection using only the facts that even the harshest historical critics of the text um, and of of that time period and the events of that time period, what facts they agree are true. Just using those facts and arguing for a resurrection based on those. And he's got, dang, he's got a fantastic arguments for the resurrection based on those facts, which you would be shocked to hear the opponents of Christianity in uh, in um, uh, textual criticism and historical criticism say, yeah, we affirm these facts to be true. They don't come to the same conclusions. And it really, I think, lays bare the, the lack of logical thinking when it comes to the issue of Jesus, you know, by many unbelievers. But anyway, so he's a great thinker. But one of his main projects has also been dealing with doubt because of his own personal story of dealing with his own doubt. And so uh, Habermas, H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S, H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S, GaryHabermas.com. It's a dot com and there's a ton of resources there. Um, And uh, he would be one voice and one person I've read out there that's kind of led me to kind of take do this fear defeaters project. But. I, anyway, I just thought I would share that on the forums because I know that anxious, uh, anxious thoughts, anxiety, 
I mean, at least anecdotally, anecdotally speaking, seems to be more frequent among geeks. There seems to be, a, in, anecdotally, in my own experience, it seems to be a little more common among geeks. And so uh, that's why I just thought I would share that with you on the forums, uh, in case it sparks any useful ideas for anyone with similar desires to be rid of specific uh, anxious thoughts of any kind. So anyway... That's enough of that. Feedback, feedback, guys. Give me your thoughts. Strike up some chat on our forums at christiangeekcentral.com. Leave a comment at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral or patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. You type it, I read it, and might even share it on the show. Even holding my head horizontally as I am right now, trying to fight off a burp, I think it's gone. So now we may continue. Unless you tell me not to share it on the show or want to be anonymous, that's fine too. You can also email me a text or audio message at P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. I would love to hear from you guys anytime and most anyway. Um, let's see here. Oh yeah, if you'd like some help. I mentioned I was going to get to this earlier. And I get to this every week because um, it's something that I really, um, uh, I really think is important. And that's this. If you would like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you do that if I can. Online resources and communities are good supplements, but by nature they can't speak to your particular situation, like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, compassionate, Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com, and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. There are no perfect churches. Uh, All churches are flawed. All churches are going to have some people there that you might not like. (laughs) But uh, a couple things that I would say to that. One, um, that whole experience of being around people that you would normally have nothing to do with is part of what the Holy Spirit uses to shape us and give us a greater capacity for people and for loving other people. And on top of that, there are people that are better than books um, because they can get to know you like a book cannot do. Uh, the, The author on the other side of a book or a website or a YouTube channel or whatever, they don't know your personality, your story, and, uh, and a person that you allow to get to know you will be able to pick up on some things and they'll, and they'll, they'll, they'll realize at some point, if they're a wise Christian, if they're seasoned in the faith compared to you, and if they've been loving people and growing in that, they'll start to pick up on things about you that maybe you haven't noticed about yourself. And they say, you know, I think this could be helpful to you. Maybe they'll recommend a book or maybe they'll just have something from their own experience they'll be able to share, but they will be able to... Um, identify some things that could really be helpful to you in a way that you just using a freaking search engine or doing your best to read as much as you can will not be able to figure out for yourself. Um, I have certainly found that to be true among people that I have allowed to get to know me and to speak in reaction to what they see happening in my life, what they see me expressing from my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Local church guys. Local church, we, we, we can't skip it. We can't skip it. And now, for my Geek Week, what I've done, what I have planned, 
This week, um, the, the game I mainly played was Assassin's Creed Odyssey, The Fate of Atlantis, until I just got burned out on it. I thought I was going to be able to mainline it until I was done with The with the Fate of Atlantis. I got the other DLC finished up a couple weeks ago, um, and I, 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 I'm i not going to be burned out for long. I, I just know that about me and this game. I'm not going to be, it'll, maybe this week I'll come back to it, or this weekend, you know, I might come back to it for a little bit. Um but that was the main game that I played, but I also didn't do a ton of video game playing this week. Excuse me, I um, I did finish watching Upload. I reviewed the premiere in episode two of that last week, and I did th- finish just binging that out. I think I finished it all on Friday night, maybe on, maybe on Saturday too, I can't remember. And there, my gosh, guys, there's so much in that show to talk about. Even in the two episodes I watched, I couldn't cover all the little facets of things. I mean, I didn't even get to, which some of you might have been wondering why. I can't believe you didn't talk about this. You know, the whole issue of humans having a um, a spiritual component, a non-physical component. And this show dodges that multiple times. You know, like, it's called Upload, but... Do people not understand, I think they do understand actually, that when you upload something, you're actually not moving it from one place to another. When you upload something online or download something, you're not moving something from one place to another. You are copying it. You're copying it to an external server or you are copying something from an external server to your computer. You are not moving anything. You're copying it, you know? <laughs> and so this whole idea that was made pop, well, not made popular, by, but was also touched on in uh, Transcendence, the, the um, Johnny, Johnny Be Good, Johnny, Johnny Knoxville, Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp, there you go. Uh, <laughs> the Johnny Depp movie um, was also dealing with the same idea. They conveniently had, I think in that movie, if I remember, it's been a long time. It was one of the first movies I reviewed on YouTube. Uh, they conveniently, I think, had him die, like, right at the same time that he was being, quote-unquote, uploaded. And it's a very similar thing in this. You cannot go through the upload process and also have a body that survives functioning, you know? Uh, And so I I think that... So because they put that in there, I think they recognize that that's an issue, but they didn't want to have to deal with it. They and, And so that's one of the reasons I reviewed that that premiere from the standpoint of okay let's just look at this and say what what does this say about how we would do if we tried to make our own heaven you know because i suspect that maybe is what they were more interested in doing is what how would a simulated heaven work out if people tried to make one you know um rather than dealing with do people have a non-physical component to their existence you know but here, I spent all this time talking about that that was just one thing there were multiple things in multiple episodes of this season it does end unresolved. Um, arguably, yeah, I would even call it a cliffhanger. It ends on a cliffhanger. So if you're the type of person that doesn't want to watch, you know, a, a show and, you know, if it's going to have a cliffhanger, then wait on upload. It also has at least one more instance of nudity. It's brief and it's a female upper body nudity. Um, I'm trying to think if there's male nudity. There might have been, or maybe I'm thinking of something else that I saw recently. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, Guns Akimbo. It has, uh, has some male quote-unquote nudity anyway so just be aware of that going in 
Um, but a lot to talk about. And it still wasn't, it wasn't something I gave my full attention to. I did end up finishing it out while doing other things, you know, folding laundry and uh, playing video games and stuff like that. I didn't, every once in a while I'd put down my controller, pause my game and say, okay, let's give this my full attention. But most times it was just kind of on, you know. Uh, so it wasn't good enough for my tastes to really demand my full attention. But yeah, so I finished that up. And then I played a little bit of Ghost Recon Breakpoint, but not a ton um, for two reasons. One, uh, I just kind of found myself interested in catching up on some non-geek movies. Uh, I watched The Irishman. That's a big, epic, long movie. I watched that over the course of two or three days. And then uh, after that, I was in a kind of a crime fiction mood and so i watched i tried watching the first half of the sopranos again uh, first half of the first episode of the first season (laughs) i was like no it's darkly funny and if i'm gonna connect with some kind of humor that's a fair bet but i didn't want after the irishman i any kind of funny i wanted serious so then i tried bosch on amazon prime i've been uh, enjoying that okay still not one i give my full attention to but uh yeah but ghost recon breakpoint i didn't play much of that well, I actually didn't. I almost played none of that over the weekend because of freaking server issues on Ubisoft's part. And this is a game that uh, I don't know if they can patch it to to be able to be playable offline. But these guys made a game that you can only play while you're connected to their servers. And I really hope, even if it involves a crazy huge download size, that they will make it possible to play offline in the future. It's because of that crap, and that is not the first time that the Ubisoft server has failed and prevented me from being able to play that game. Um, really frustrating. Really frustrating. So, uh, they did eventually fix it, but and enough people I could see on the uh, Twitter thread, on the, 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 the Twitter support page, which is where they suggested you go for regular updates, you know. Enough people were giving them a really hard time, but like, this is why you should have it, you know, be downloadable and playable offline and stuff. I was like, okay, they're getting the message from plenty of others. <laughs> I don't need to add to that noise. Um, but I really hope they do. I really, ugh, I really hope, you know. They do, Ubisoft does seem to listen to their players and make changes to their games. Uh, I think that's certainly evidenced in Ghost Recon Wildlands, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, um, the Assassin's Creed games, sometimes it takes them longer than others, but I really do think that they listen to their fans, and um, especially when they realize they had to rescue themselves from the uh, from potentially being um, hostily in- acquired. <laughs> that was a story for people into that kind of stuff a couple years ago. They just really, you know, said, okay, we got to make games that are going to sell and sell well. We got to make sure we're doing well, you know? And so they really snapped to attention and uh, started making changes for their, for their players at that point. And so I think this is a possible change that could be made at some point, but it won't come near fast enough for me. As far as this weekend, I think I, you know, as long as they don't screw it up again, I'll probably play some more uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint. I don't want to mainline that again too much because um, I did learn that AI squadmates are coming this summer from them. Um, and I found that out after I made the prediction of something in my in my uh, predictions for an E3 about something available and cool that Peter were like right now. Um, well, that's bound to happen. Well, that's probably going to happen in the month of June. And so I think that wish will come true as it, as it often does every year these days, these years. I don't know, whatever. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I'm waiting on mainlining Breakpoint until that comes because I think I'll really enjoy it a ton more even, even though it was already my game of last year uh, once those guys get added. 
So I might play some Sword and Sorcery Immortal Souls. That's still out on one of my tables here in my office. Or a Pathfinder Adventure card game that's sitting out on a smaller thingy. <laughs> I'm also thinking of buying Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. This is a game on... Uh, on PlayStation 4, and I think you can get it on Xbox One as well. And I played it a long time ago because a friend brought it over when he brought his console over and we had like a, you know, two-man arcade night, as I call them, in my office. And it's, uh, you know, a very cutesy aesthetic. The title, I was like, what is this, some game about sex or something? <laughs> um, but it, lovers, I think it means it in the most innocent form possible. These are cute little lovable things that love others and love each other it's a whole planet full of aliens that are just all about love you know and spreading love in the universe you know they're really cute there's nothing remotely sexual about this game as far as i can tell it's very cutesy um and so you think well why in the world does pater have any interest in this well because it's on a deep discount right now and i have three ps4 controllers and i think this would be a good game for me to play um with my boys um, and for them to maybe take a turn, I don't have four controllers, for them to take a turn playing with my wife. I think my wife would kind of like it too. Um, because you're, you're, it's a side scrolling kind of, uh, game where you're in this spaceship, little cute little round spaceship that has multiple stations on it that need to be manned each by one of these little alien creatures. And you can have AI characters controlling it, but, uh, you can also control them all with players, you know, using controllers. And it's really easy to play. But uh, to master and to really kind of do well, you have to be in communication with the other players. Like, okay, I'll man this station. Okay, I'll go over here. Oh, look out for that. Da, da, da. And you're kind of, so it's constant communication and gets kind of frantic. But not so much, I don't think it's like an overcooked type thing, which that game, from all the reviews I've seen, I'm like, ooh, I want no part of that. That's like ending friendships, you know. And I don't think this is going to be that kind of game I've played uh, an hour or more with uh, my buddy. And there's different difficulty settings too. And so I wouldn't want to play it by myself. But I think it could be a really good fit for me and my boys, um, or for my wife and my boys, or for me and my wife, or something like that. Some combination thereof, uh, until we uh, end up with an, a fourth PS4 controller, which at this point probably won't. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so I might get that. It's on sale until the 20th, so I have some time to think about it. But uh, it's possible I'll pull the trigger this weekend. We'll see. And that's my Geek Week. That is it for this week, guys. I want to thank Andrea Riccati and Speculative Faith for their contributions to the show this week. Thank you very much. Stay tuned after the credits for B5 Shawarma with Adam David Collings commenting episode by episode on one of his favorite sci-fi shows, Babylon 5. Or you can jump back to episode 575 if you want to start at the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through... Wait a minute, no, I said I was going to delete that. I said I was going to stop telling you that. You know what? I don't think I can do that. I think as long as I'm pointing you guys to episode 570... Well, no, 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 because that's 0 through 500. So I think I can stop telling. I can stop this. Okay, so we're going to delete this. That's 100 episodes where I told you how to get access to the first 500 episodes, which are archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. So I can now remove that little notification. I've done it 100 times at this point. <laughs> Next week, if God allows it, I will share my essential issues thoughts on reign of the supermen major major story in dc comics history and then i also hope to get us back into our study of james till then please consider supporting the work of christian geek central and spirit blade productions that's me 
and earning some fun rewards by becoming a Spiritblade insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. I'd also be grateful for positive reviews wherever you find this podcast. Thank you so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at christiangeekcentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit spiritblade.com. Thank you for listening. Nothing's the same anymore. Why do I still have to remind myself that she's Why gone? don't you eliminate the entire non-homeworld? Stand in the darkness and the light. Declaring martial law. Tell my own government wants to kill me. Get off their encounter suit and butts and do something. Any crew that executes an order like that is guilty of war crimes. Being a freedom fighter, it's a wonderful thing. But the pay sucks. Oh, we're screwed. Now get the hell out of our galaxy. And that was A Distant Star. The description on the Lurker's Guide reads... Disaster strikes an old friend of Captain Sheridan. Dr. Franklin offers nutritional advice to some reluctant patients. This episode aired on the 23rd of November, 1994. Oh dear. You know, it's going to be a riveting episode when uh, one of the things mentioned is the doctor giving nutritional advice to the crew. (laughs) Uh, That's not entirely fair. Um, this is an interesting episode to talk about. In a lot of ways, it feels like a standalone episode, but it is pushing ahead to the arc of Season 2, just a little. We get to see an Earth Force explorer ship for the first time, the Cortez, and it's pretty cool. It looks like the kind of thing that a present-day scientist might dream up as a concept for a long-range exploration spaceship. It actually looks a bit like the station, it's long and it's thin. It's got solar power panel. It's long and it's thin, and it has solar panels for power generation. And again, the show uses character reactions to betray a sense of awe. Catching a glimpse of an explorer ship for these characters is a big deal. So the captain of this ship is a close friend of Sheridan, Captain Maynard. And this launches a little character-driven plot. Sheridan begins to question what he's become. He trained to captain a starship. Now he feels like a bureaucrat, running a city in space. Is that really what he wants? This kind of mirrors Garibaldi's soul-searching in the last episode. I watch this with a sense of bemusement. Sheridan is about to get all the adventure he could ever ask for, and much more. Knowing what's coming, his concerns seem almost petty, but I have to forget what I know and put myself in the mindset of the character at this point in his life. Let's just say that this has nothing on some of the character stuff we'll do later on. The big question raised by this episode is, is there anything living in hyperspace? This is a question raised by another newspaper headline in Season 1 for those with eagle vision. Maynard said he doesn't believe there is anything alive in hyperspace, but there's definitely something out there. He's been exploring the rim for a few years, 
and he had an experience where he saw a glimmer of something dark against the black of space. It blocked out the stars and then vanished. This is the first indication we get of humans being aware of shadow vessels. So let's define what these people mean when they say the rim. Now, I always took this to mean the edge of the Milky Way galaxy, but this episode seems to make it clear that the rim is the edge of explored space. The Cortez has been out there mapping new sectors. Now they're heading out to the new rim. We get a little subplot about the Mimbari. They're not sure whether Delenn is any longer one of them. Now, I'm kind of more familiar with Delenn's new form than her old one because I've seen so much more of the new form. Uh, but again, I must remember that to them, this is seriously out there. Delenn has become half-human, and they don't know what this means. Now, there's this bit here where Delenn says, Understanding is not required, only obedience. Funny. That's a lesson we might apply to our Christian lives. Certainly times where we don't understand what God's doing, but we don't need to. We just need to obey him. So there's an explosion on board the Cortez, which takes out their navigation system or something, and they get lost in hyperspace. Hyperspace in the Babylon 5 universe is a scary thing. It's difficult to navigate. If you lose track of where you are, you can't actually return to normal space. It's portrayed almost like another dimension, a hellish crackling of red light. If you get lost in there, you could be lost forever. So B-5 launches a rescue mission. Now this is probably a good time to talk about Lieutenant Keffer. This new character was introduced in the season premiere. The network wanted a Top Gun style fighter pilot in the show. You can just picture it, can't you? The guys in suits. Oh yeah, people like kind of uh, cocky flyboy type characters, so we should have one of them. <laughs> anyway, JMS introduced him. He didn't get a lot of uh, interference from networks, um, but in this case, they asked him for a character like this, and so he wrote one in. Uh, this won't be the last time a network will insist on putting a gung-ho flyboy in a Babylon 5 show. Um, Kef is a largely forgettable character, I think. Uh, during this episode, he does become the first human that we know of so far to get a really good, proper look at a shadow vessel. Near the end of the episode, Delenn and Sheridan are having a chat, and this is the first real scene that these two have shared, so that's kind of significant. While trying to encourage him, Delenn says, The universe knows what it is doing. Now, this sounds like what Pater would describe as pop spirituality, the kind of thing people say when they don't want to acknowledge God, but ultimately it kind of means nothing. In this case, this is actually coming out of a very entrenched edict of Mimbari theology. We are the universe made manifest, she says, trying to figure itself out. This is what the Mimbari believe. They believe that the universe is, or was, essentially sapient, and that it broke itself up into little pieces, those pieces being living beings, to try and understand its own existence. So all of us are actually part of the process of the universe trying to figure itself out. So that's interesting. There's a nice little moment at the end where they remember one of the pilots that died during the rescue. It's the first hint that Babylon 5 takes the deaths of red shirts seriously. It acknowledges that they are people with lives and families. This concept will be explored in detail in an episode of the spin-off Crusade. So, I don't know, it's a 
largely forgettable episode. It's not amazing by any means. It's an episode. Um, it's good because we get to learn a bit more about how hyperspace works in Babylon 5. And, yeah, we we get a glimpse of a shadow vessel. So humans have now seen this mysterious thing that's out there. They don't yet know that it is tied to the recent attacks. It's just a mystery for them to solve. So, that's that. There's my landline. <laughs> It'll be telemarketers, don't worry. Anyway, I'll see you next time for The Long Dark, where Reginald Barclay pays a visit to Babylon 5.